This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, the psychology of adopted people and the inevitable urge to search. I think people really do need to have some information to make sense of who they are. And you need to know where you came from to know where you're going. The effects of even a perfect adoption when Radio Health Journal returns. New safety technology available in cars today offers a glimpse into the future. Hi, I'm Debbie Hersman, president of the National Safety Council, and this is your Safety Minute. The driverless car may still be years away, but many features in new cars can give you a safety edge today. Features like automatic emergency braking and lane departure warning systems can help drivers prevent crashes. But many people don't understand their car's features or how to use them. MyCarDoesWhat.org offers hands-on, objective information about new technology, as well as things that have been in your car for years. But remember, while these safety features can assist the driver, they do not replace your skill and judgment. You are still your car's best safety feature. No more. Drive safer. Visit MyCarDoesWhat.org. Safety Minute is brought to you by the National Safety Council and Toyota. Every year, more than 120,000 adoptions take place in the United States. Nearly two-thirds of them involve a child less than a year old. Of all children in America, about 2.5% are adopted. Today, it's a common way to build a family. But a lot of myths and misconceptions still exist about adopted children and the adults they become. For example, that they're not loved as much as biological children. Love is hard to measure, but nearly three-quarters of adopted children under age six are read to or sung to at bedtime every night, about 25% more than biological children. And nine out of ten adoptive parents describe their relationship with their child as very close. Still, many experts, even some who were themselves adopted, say being an adoptee creates more risk of a psychological wound, both growing up and later on. I do think there's something to it. I went over some of the research and a lot of the articles talk about low self-esteem, bouts of depression. I think a lot of the research have uh, referred to, I'm an adoptee, uh, referred to us as somewhere in between normal and outpatient. That's Dr. Stephen Betchen, clinical assistant professor of psychology at Thomas Jefferson University, senior supervisor for the Council for Relationships, and author of the book Magnetic Partners. I definitely buy the research that talks about our affiliation issues. We're much better at alienation than affiliation. And that I see pretty regularly, and I've experienced that myself. There's something about being left, even if you have the greatest adoptive parents in the world, there's a void there, and there's some kind of a a hole, something missing. It makes it difficult to feel quite comfortable wherever you're at. Even if people love you to death and want to take you in and make you part of their own families, there's just something about that that's missing that can't be plugged. There's definitely loss that happens even in an open adoption, even in a very simple infant placement. And then, of course, there are more losses involved if a child goes through numbers of orphanages, foster homes, hospitals, and changes of that sort. There are traumas and losses that are part of the process. But I think that human beings are resilient and they deal with them in different ways. Dr. Joyce McGuire Pavo is a consultant on adoption issues and a lecturer in psychiatry at the Harvard Medical School. 
She says that growing up as an adoptee isn't bound to create pathology. Not at all. It usually simply creates a slightly different normal. But that inevitably changes who a person becomes, at least a little. If the adoption was during the infancy period, there's some trust and mistrust, the developmental stages. I mean, that's really the first thing. So that complete loss of the original caregiver, you know, has an impact. So some of the reactions to that, some of the behaviors as a result of that may be of note, but they're not necessarily pathological. A lot of it depends on the circumstances around the adoption. I think the research indicates, you know, you adapt better if you were adopted as an infant as opposed to being moved in and out of different homes until finally somebody adopted you. I think a lot of it depends on who adopts you. When and how a child is told they were adopted and what they're told that means is very important. Pavo says it should be an ongoing dialogue between parent and child, not a one-and-done as it was for her many years ago. I was told I was adopted once at age three, and then it wasn't supposed to be talked about again. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm a person who needs to ask a zillion questions and find out everything I can, and there are many more children like me who needed to do that. So I think that we began to teach birth parents and adoptive parents to learn to talk about it more so they could take the burden off the child who really needs to have this information. The best person to impart it is the parents who are raising the child. But of course, that's a sticky situation because the parents who are raising the child, you know, it makes them sad to have to talk about adoption because there's a sadness that comes with it. There may have been infertility, and that may have led to adoption. The adults carry a lot of sadness and guilt and shame and anger, and that gets funneled right to the child if it's not processed by the adult. Always there are questions, sometimes unspoken, sometimes not even conscious. And hidden in the background, Pavo says, may be grief over loss that can manifest itself as fear of more loss. So Betchen says some adoptees may be reluctant to get close to others. There's something about allowing yourself to be taken in and accepted that they have some difficulty with. I see that a lot. And I do a lot of couples therapy. That's my specialty. And I, there are a lot of intimacy issues and commitment issues even and fear of getting too close. I think a lot of kids who are adopted worry that they'll be rejected again or put up for adoption again. So it makes it difficult for them to allow themselves to become part of something, and I think you have to really work hard at it to allow yourself to feel comfortable. Identity issues also may become difficult as kids grow up. Those are pretty complex for any adopted person, but add to that transracial adoption, international adoption. There are other situations that just add to the complexity and make it more to contend with during that period of life. So the behaviors may be more extreme, but those, to me, are normal under the circumstances. Why wouldn't you have confusion about your identity if you didn't know anything about where you came from? I do think adolescence is a more difficult stage of development. I mean, identity is the work of adolescence. And for someone who doesn't have the right tools to figure out their identity, it makes it very difficult to claim who you think you are and what you think you are. However, Pavo says that sometimes that can be a positive if you put the right spin on it. An adopted child can be anybody they want. Their birth parents may have been a king or a queen. There are those possibilities, and you do think of yourself in a wider context because you don't know who you might be. 
it can give you a real sense of, you know, belonging to this bigger world. And Pavo says there's another positive. People who've been adopted also may handle adversity better than others. They may seem to better accept that it is what it is and move on. Betchen agrees. There is some research on our ability to cope with some things a little better. I mean, you've already been through something, and I also think there's something about being prepared for it, too. So because we're a little bit on alert, I think it kind of prepares us a little more to deal with something that might come down the pike. So I think that we're a little stronger in many ways. I also think that if you look at adoption from a positive perspective, somebody really wanted you. And I think that that's also positive. It makes you feel special as well. Pavo says these generalities don't apply to everyone. They may be imperceptible in any particular person. And many adopted people claim that in their lives, the differences are irrelevant. But Betchen says no adoptee is completely unaffected, and sometimes connecting the dots helps explain some of how we feel and act. And even in those who've had an idyllic life with seemingly no issues, the urge to search for birth parents and fill in the blank spots can eventually be insatiable. Every human being at some point begins to wonder about their past and their ancestors and where they came from. Now, people who live in the family they were born into have the opportunity to go and ask their grandparents or go and ask people and have stories told about the country of origin, the experiences of the family, what's happened within that family. For people who are adopted and don't have contact, some do that have open adoptions, but for the ones who don't, there's a big blank there. There's a big question. And I think it's very human to want to know something about where you came from and who you are. There's a divided loyalty. If you're very loyal to your adoptive parents, you feel like you really shouldn't do this. But in fact, it's your right. It's information about who you are and how you came to be. So I think people really do need to have some information to make sense of who they are. And you need to know where you came from to know where you're going. I had fantasies about who my real parents were, and my analyst challenged me, and he said, well, why don't you go find out? I was really kind of ready to go and do it, but it's a very difficult process, and a lot of people are looking for some kind of, uh, not just closure, but to make something up, to fix something, to repair something, and oftentimes they're let down with what they find. But I do believe it brings closure. I do believe it's something that you feel that you, a lot of people feel that they just have to do to at least feel at peace. Betchen didn't start searching for his birth parents until both his adoptive parents had died. He says they were old school. They would have been hurt. And throughout this segment, by the way, we've said adoptive parents really for the benefit of clarity. Adopted people have birth parents who they may or may not know. But those they call mom and dad are the ones who raised them, read to them at bedtime, cheered on the sidelines, and put kisses and band-aids on their skinned knees. And when those parents pass on, it can be a devastating loss. As an adopted person, you already lost one set of parents. So there's a lot of fear of losing your other parents. And yeah, when the adoptive parents die, of course, any kind of loss like that is very difficult, but it carries a, a little more intensity because it's a repetition of an earlier loss. It can make you feel, for some people, I know I felt this way, that when my second adoptive parent died, that I was out there again, orphaned. 
However, people who've been adopted just might be better equipped to pick themselves up after such a loss, not just because they're more adaptive, but Pavo says they're often more spiritual. You believe in things, the things you can't see. There's an element in faith that you have to believe in things that you can't see. So if you don't know your birth parents, but you know they're out there somewhere, a lot of kids, little kids that I work with, have a real relationship with the moon or the stars, and they'll look out their window and say, somewhere my birth mother and my birth father are looking at the same moon and the same stars, and it's what connects them. You can find out more about all of our guests through links on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net. I'm Reed Pence. Medical notes this week. Millions of Americans are using Fitbits and other wearable monitors of physical activity as part of their fitness efforts. But a new study shows that if you're trying to lose weight, those devices don't help. In fact, they may hurt. The study in the Journal of the American Medical Association finds that after two years, people in a weight loss program using wearable devices lost half as much weight as those who didn't use them. It could be that people rely on the devices too much. As many as 80% of pregnant women experience morning sickness, and about half of those suffer from vomiting as well as nausea. Doctors really don't know what purpose it serves, but a new study in the journal JAMA Internal Medicine shows that women who suffer from it may be having a healthier pregnancy than those who don't. Women who recorded feeling morning sickness in a daily diary were 50 to 75% less likely to suffer pregnancy loss than those who had no nausea. And finally, open floor plans are extremely popular, but a new study suggests that they may make people eat too much. The problem? No barriers between you and the food. Researchers compared how people behave in an open kitchen and dining room space versus one with barriers, and found that open kitchens invite about 10% more serving trips and an extra 170 calories each time. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.